Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Today, we begin our annual church-wide Sabbath. For 10 years since the beginning of our church, we have always used the month of July as a time of rest. Um, For the handful of you that have been here since the beginning, I I estimate that you have heard somewhere around 38 sermons on the subject of rest and Sabbath. As a matter of fact, if my calculations are correct, I think you've heard exactly 38 Sunday sermons uh, on that. And so I've taught about Sabbath more than I have taught about any other subject probably. And, And... that's 38 Sunday sermons here. That's not counting the various places that I've been asked to speak about Sabbath. And so Sabbath is a huge part of my life. I want to see a show of hands. I want to see just for myself, how many of you have been here since the beginning and you've been a part of all of these Sabbath traditions with us? Raise your hand high and uh, look around, look around. There are only only a few hands that are going up. And so for many of you, you have experienced Sabbath throughout the the past 10 years with us, and you know what this month is about. For others in the room, you're going, what are you talking about Sabbath? I don't get it. Sabbath is supposed to be, you know, like like, like that's Sunday, you know. And and trust me, there is a weekly Sabbath that we are to observe. I'll talk about that. But, um, But for us as a church, we participate in what we call our month of Sabbath. If you know me, you know that I highly value the Sabbath, and I believe believe that of all, out of all of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is the one that is the most abused. And, and I say that because for years I abused the Sabbath. I did not understand the principle of Sabbath in my own life, and not necessarily a day, but the principle of Sabbath and the spirit of Sabbath becoming alive in my life and recognizing the importance of that. Um, it's, it's as if God probably knew that we would have a, a problem with this because he spends more explanation and more words on the fourth commandment, which is the Sabbath commandment, than any of the other commandments. So he spends more time explaining the Sabbath than he does any of the other commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, I don't want you to turn there, I'm not going to teach from there today, but in Exodus chapter 20, there are 15 verses used to describe the Ten Commandments. 15 verses in Exodus 20 that talk about the Ten Commandments. Out of those 15 verses, God uses four of them to teach us about Sabbath. That's about 27% of the, the verses used for the Ten Commandments are dedicated to teaching us about Sabbath more than any other commandment. That makes me believe that God values the Sabbath also, that he would spend that much time, that that many verses teaching us. He wants to emphasize this to our lives. Now think about it. We would never consider murder, theft, adultery. We would never consider those things as an honest option. People that don't even believe in Jesus don't believe that those are honest options, yet they are part of the Ten Commandments. So why is it that even as believers sometimes, we don't take the Sabbath seriously. I believe that God wants to stress to us the importance of Sabbath, not as a legalistic rule, but as an opportunity for us to enter into God's rest so that we can be refreshed and restored. Now, there is nothing mentioned in Scripture about setting aside the seventh 
Jewish month of Tishri for Sabbath. Most of you don't know anything about the Jewish calendar, and so that doesn't mean a hill of beans to you. But there's nothing that says set aside a certain month or something like that for Sabbath. No, back in 2007, we had just finished hosting our very first vacation Bible school in the student center located across the street from this school. And we did that with a very, very small army of, of volunteers, uh, very minimal help. And after it was over, we needed a break. We had spent the last year, the last, you know, well, since September of 2006, we had spent that much time trying to build and grow the church. And, and it was at a very crucial uh, stage in the, in the birth and the life of our church. And so we did VBS. And as we come out of VBS, I knew that we as a congregation, that we were exhausted. Um, I, I cannot tell you that this was something that I knew was going to become a, a annual tradition for us. It, it wasn't. I just looked at our congregation, knew we were tired, and said, next month is our month of Sabbath. And we are just going to rest. We'll still have church on Sundays, but we are going to rest. And every year since, we have observed a corporate Sabbath every July. So after 11 months this year of quality, productive ministry, we will spend this month being refreshed and renewed. And some of you are probably saying, well, how do you do that? How do you accomplish that? Well, we give our midweek teachers and our small group leaders the month off. So all of our children's leaders and, and, and youth leaders and everyone, they have the month off. They're not going to have to prepare lessons and that kind of stuff. Our setup and our teardown team, they don't have to set up and tear down during this month. It's the middle of the summer, and we were able to stay set up here at the school. And so we get a break from that. That's a rest from that. Um, we, we use this time to fellowship with our church family. As I said, building relationships that last for eternity. And that's the only thing we can take to heaven with us. And so things like this Wednesday night and every Wednesday night throughout this month, we're going to do family-focused activities where we all come together as a church family. And, and we get to work on and build those relationships, get to know each other better. Uh, we encourage you to work only the necessary hours to earn your paycheck. And if possible, don't work overtime to go home and be with your family. Now, this is tough for some of you, and this is where I always get those looks from the congregation, and you're like, Are you, is he being for real right now? Listen to me. I'm going to try my best to explain it. Some of you will get it. Some of you will still be in bondage, and you'll walk out of here and don't, you know, and that doesn't scare me. I, I believe in time that you're going to get it, and, and so the problem is you trust your own efforts more than you trust his faithfulness. And the promise of Sabbath, that when you rest, when you stop, is that you believe that God can do more to bless your life in your downtime than you can do putting your hand to the plow. Uh, this does not mean that you shouldn't work. I don't want anybody in this room walking out going, oh, pastor's saying I shouldn't work this month. And if you do that, you're going to get fired. Even pastor is going to be working this month, okay? But my goal is every day at 5 o'clock, I want, if I can, I if it's at all possible, I want to walk out of the office, go home, and spend time with my family. And that is what I'm, I'm asking you to do. Now, some people get this, and they accomplish this to the best of their ability. Now, you can't help it if you're scheduled to work, and that's the normal working hours and that kind of thing. But if you can help it, trust that God can do more. Maybe you're looking for that raise. Maybe you're looking for that bonus or that promotion. Trust that God can do more in your downtime than you can do with your hand to the plow. 
Because here's the testimonies of what happens during this month. We have, I, I, I mean, I could sit here and name off individual after individual that have, that they've come to me through the years and said, because of Sabbath, because of the month of July that you call us to, and me, you know, setting aside time to be with my family, I got that bonus, I got that raise, or I got that promotion. It's widespread throughout our church, and I believe that it is a, a scriptural principle that when applied, God uses it to bless your life. And, and, and since the beginning of time, God has tried to get us to see the necessity of rest and restoration. And some people just simply don't get it. And when they don't get it, they're breaking the Sabbath. They're breaking the commandment of Sabbath. And I want to help you focus on that so that God can bless your life. And so here we are again, DCC. We're right here, back again. Welcome to Sabbath, yeah? Welcome to Sabbath. I'm excited about this because I prepare for an entire year. I read constantly about the subject of Sabbath and I study it because every year I get excited about what I'm about to teach you and, and how this applies to our lives. I, uh, I'm not saying that I have done this before. I haven't. I, I, I promise I haven't done this. But I will consider trading a car in when I look at the tires and I need four new tires on a car. I will. You, you, ever, you ever thought that? Maybe, I'm not asking you if you've done it or any, some of you morons, you've done it and, and, and now you're head over heels in debt. But I have looked at tires before and thought to myself, before I put five, $600 worth of tires on this car, I might as well just go trade it in and defer a payment for a month or two. And man, I'll be rolling in some jack, you know, if I can do this. I've thought about it. I have. I've contemplated that before. I'm not saying it's wise. I'm just saying that's the way my mind works sometimes. And don't lie, you've thought about it too. Because tires can be expensive. Uh, um, one of the contributing factors to needing new tires on your vehicle is balance. Balance. If your tires are unbalanced or out of balance on your vehicle, you will experience excessive and uneven tread wear. Uh, you could experience vibration. You get up to certain speeds and it starts vibrating. Um, you could experience decreased fuel economy. Be all because it's out of balance. And, and when I say that, I know that deep down some of you are thinking, he sounds like he's describing me. When he describes what being a car being out of balance or tires being out of balance, it sounds like he's describing my life because you are experiencing excessive wear and, and uneven wear on your, uh, on your life. Your life is, is vibrating and it's shaking everything around you loose. Nothing feels stable. Uh, you personally have decreased fuel economy, simply put. You can't go and do like you used to and because you're just tired. You're wore out. And not only do tires need to be balanced, they also need enough air in them. If they don't have enough air in them, they will experience excessive wear. I, uh, recently, my family and I, we were returning from a pastor's conference in Central Florida, and it was on a Wednesday, and I was trying to make it back for church that night. And uh, so we were, the four of us were driving up the interstate, and as we're driving somewhere between, I don't know, Wildwood, Ocala, and that area, my daughter, who's sitting in the back, she looks, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm driving, but I didn't even notice, 
but uh, the tire pressure came up and, and it showed that one of the tires on the car, the front passenger side, that it, the, the tire pressure was going down. So I just ignored it because it's Mandy's side and I just didn't care. So no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I didn't. And she said, Dad, look, there, it says something about tire pressure. I looked at it and sure enough, I could watch the percentage of air in the tire decreasing. And so I hit the next exit and I, I went pulling into a, a, a service station and right next to an air pump and I pulled up and I, I get out and I look at it and sure enough, it's, it's going flat. And so, you know, I take the, the valve stem cover off and I, I put some money in the, in the pump and, and I begin airing up the, the, uh, the, the, the tire. And, but nothing's coming out. It's, it's, it's broken. There's no out of order sign or anything like that. And so it's not helping me air up the tire at all. So I went around to the back of the car. I got a baseball bat and I come back around and I, I'm just kidding, I didn't do that because I didn't have time. I probably would have, but I didn't have time. So I jumped back in the vehicle. I went flying across all five lanes of traffic, including the turn, <clears throat> excuse me, the turn lane in the middle of the road, five lanes of traffic, went in to an, another uh, 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 service station there. And I, I did this, you know, felt like I did a power slide. Probably didn't, but it felt like I did a power slide, you know, like Starsky and Hutch right into, some of you have no idea what Starsky and Hutch is. <laughs> you got to know your crowd, right? Dukes of Hazard, Dukes of Hazard. I forget sometimes we're in Newberry, Florida. So Dukes of Hazard. I went sliding in, power slide, just right in there. And there's this girl airing up the tire on her car. And, and her eyes just get huge as I power slide into there, you know, I'm putting my tires close to the pump as I possibly can. And, and her eyes get big, probably saw her life flash before her eyes. And she jumps up and she comes over to my tire and she starts airing it up on her dollar. On her dollar. I'm like, ma'am, you don't have to do that. No, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. She's scared to death. And so she airs up my tire, and, and, uh, and, and uh, I could sit there, and I could watch the tire continuing to go lower. So I knew that I had to find a tire shop. So we found a tire shop to patch the hole in the tire so that the air would stop leaking out. Now, how many of you would agree with me that we need air to roll? Amen. We need air to roll. Without air, we're not going to roll. Here's your warning. You ready? You need air. Today, you need air. You don't even know it. Some of you are in the room and you're so oblivious to this and you don't even know this, but you need air. I'm going to be reading from, from two different uh, passages of scripture in the Bible. The first one is going to be Genesis chapter 2, because I believe we need to go back to the beginning if we're going to figure out where everything went wrong. So Genesis chapter 2, uh, and then eventually I'm going to end up at Ezekiel chapter 37. So Genesis 2, Ezekiel 37, Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Genesis 2 and verse 1. It reads, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Now, don't miss this. I covered this recently on an occupational calling series that I did on a Wednesday night, but I don't want you to miss this. Notice that there was no vegetation growing on the earth yet, 
because no man had, had been created yet to take care of that vegetation. This shows me that God has created us to work. The scripture tells us, if a man won't work, he won't eat. And so God created us to work. This series is not about you getting out of work. As a matter of fact, if you're not working, you need to be working. And so God didn't even let vegetation grow on the land yet because there was no man to work the ground. Verse 6, And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Do you understand that without the breath of life, Adam was nothing more than a glorified sandcastle? That's all he was. He was just a lifeless clump of dirt. I'm sure that it was a, a pretty neat sculpture. You've been to the beach before. You've seen some of these people that, that do amazing things with sand. They build the sand castles. They, they, they make dolphins and all this kind of stuff. We try and make stuff like that. And it, it does, my, my dolphins look more like manatees. I don't know what's wrong. And so, but, but I'm sure it was a beautiful creation. When I think about this amazing day when God created man, when I think about how God formed man from the dust of the ground, from the dirt, I, I picture him, you know, not looking like most of of us men in the room today, I picture him having like a six pack. We're more like kegs, you know, that's how we are. And so it, it was, it was, I just, I see him being sculpted, man, you know, God's masterpiece here. But until God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, he was just a clump of dirt. That's all that he was. Lifeless, just laying there, sculpted nonetheless, but still just laying there, a useless piece of dirt. But then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became alive. Needless to say, church breath is vital to our existence. Now, for most people in the room, breathing is a natural reflex. You don't have to think about it. It just happens. You're not considering it right now. You're not sitting there making yourself breathe. Most of us, we've, we've never had to experience it quite like that. And so you don't think about breathing. It just happens until you run out of breath. Because at the moment you run out of breath, that's when you start thinking about it. You can't get it off your mind. I remember one time when I was about five years old, we were, we were at a family's house. It was a big church cookout, and I was climbing a tree. Now, I'm sure the tree, the branch that I was on, was probably only you know about four feet, five feet off the ground. I felt like I was about a million miles up in the air, and, and I'm hanging, and all of a sudden I slipped. And when I did, my back landed on the ground. And when it did, it knocked the wind out of me. Anybody ever had the wind knocked out of you? It was one of the scariest moments of my life. I thought I was dead. I thought I was dying. I did. I had no more breath in my lungs and I was dying. And so until you need breath, you don't think about breath. But when you need breath, you can't get it off of your mind because it is all that you think about. I remember we were living in Tampa during the, the week of Thanksgiving one year. Mandy and I, and, and we, we took some of our, our students, some of the teenagers from our youth ministry, out to visit some shut-ins and deliver, to deliver boxes of groceries to them. And, uh, and we've probably hit three or four different homes that, that particular evening. And I, I'll never forget this one home we went into. The, 
the, the, the elderly gentleman was in a wheelchair and he had the, the oxygen on and the tube went down his chair and it went down the hallway where they had an oxygen tank set up in a, in a bedroom. And I remember we were, we were there, we were visiting, and they were, they were just so blessed and thankful for us to be there. And at the end of the evening, me being the youth pastor, I thought, well, you know, I, I need to pray. It's like the spiritual thing to do. I, I, I want to pray. So I got everybody in, in a circle. There were probably, you know, 10 or 12 of us in the room, including he and his wife. And so we're standing there in a circle. We join hands, and I start praying. Now, there's something that happens to a pastor when he starts praying and people start responding to the prayer. I'm just going to let you in on a little insight here. And all of a sudden, I heard this man, and there were these deep moans and groaning. And I thought, this man is being touched. The Spirit of God is all over this man while the pastor is praying, you know. And so we're praying, and, and, and the more he moans, the louder and longer I get in my prayer. You know, God, you're going to heal this man. God, you're going to bring salvation to this home. God, you're going to supply, you know, all of their needs according to your riches and glory. And I'm praying. All of a sudden, I open my eyes because now the moaning is getting intensified. And I look over, and Mandy is standing on the man's oxygen line. <laughs> He is struggling to breathe. I'm praying, God, heal this man, meet his needs, bless this home. And the man's dying in the chair because Mandy is standing on his oxygen line. <laughs> Needless to say, we were never invited back to that home. <laughs> Keep your groceries. We just want to breathe. That's all we want. Maybe you've seen the, maybe you have seen the young military cadet standing in formation and as they're standing there on a hot day, they begin to drop like flies because they're locking their knees and they're forgetting to breathe. We need breath to live. It's impossible to live. We can't live without it. In Genesis chapter 2, the Hebrew word that's used for breath of life is ruach. Ruach. And it's the same word used throughout the Old Testament for breath and spirit. In the New Testament... They used the word pneuma, and they interchanged it for breath and spirit also. But what you have to understand is that the breath of life that's referred to, ruach, there in Genesis chapter 2, it is the breath of God. That God breathed his breath into Adam, and when God breathed his breath into Adam, his breath of life, it caused him to come alive. Because when God breathes on you, you have no other choice but to live. You have no other choice but to be resurrected. You have no other choice but to come alive when God breathes on your life. And so God gave Adam this mouth-to-nose suscitation. It wasn't resuscitation because Adam had never lived before. He was just formed. And so God suscitated him. I don't even know if that's a word, but it is today. God suscitated Adam and brought him to life. But since that day... Humanity has consistently run out of wind. We've run out of breath. Every one of us, all humans that have ever lived, we have run out of breath. And my goal today, to be honest with you, is I want you to feel completely wore out by the end of this sermon. Because it's easier to give into rest when you are tired. You know what I'm talking about. You've had a long day, a long week, and you don't even make it to the bedroom. You collapse on the floor before you get there. Or you lay down on the couch and you're out. The next thing you know, it's the next morning. You know, It's just easier to give in to rest when you're tired. 
And so today I want you to feel tired. I want you to feel this heaviness. Now we can do this one of two ways. I can preach for two hours or you can just go ahead and open up and, and hear what I'm trying to tell you today. How, how many would rather go with the latter than the former there? Yeah? Okay. We'll, we'll do it. You need to hear this. What I'm about to tell you is life-changing for you. It will absolutely bless your life because it blessed my life. And if you can get this concept down, this biblical concept, if you can understand it and apply it to your life, it will completely change every aspect of your life and you will find balance in all areas. Some of you are already feeling wiped out today. You know it. You walked into this room. I don't have to convince you that you're tired, that you're weary. You are, are just simply wiped out. But there's others in the room that you're in a very dangerous place because you don't know that you're exhausted. And I've been there. I know what it feels like to not know that you're exhausted and you feel like you've got all the energy and all the want to and, and you just want to get things done and you are in a very dangerous place because you don't know that you're tired. Some of you are so hyped up on occupational adrenaline that you cannot see that you are about to collapse. And some of you, you are busy body junkies and you need this full plate fix and God has not called you to that. And, and you are, are, are absolutely going against what God has, has called us to do with the invitation to Sabbath. And my advice to you today is stop. Seriously, right now, in this moment, for the next few minutes, I want you to stop. I want you to put your phones down. I don't want you to answer an email. I don't want you Facebooking, tweeting, Instagramming. I don't want you doing any of that stuff. Just stop. Stop your mind from racing. Stop your phone from ringing. I promise you, your work will be there tomorrow. And the thing that I figured out in life, you're trying to get ahead, you'll never get ahead. There's always something else that has to be done. And so just stop. Trust God in this moment because today is the Lord's day. That's what Sabbath is called. It's the Lord's day. He has laid claim to it, not because he needs rest, but because he knows you need rest. Psalm 46 and 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Stop. Be still. And it's in that moment that God becomes more real to you than you could ever possibly imagine. And I believe that when we find stillness, we find God. So, so just stop and breathe. I really want you to do this with me. I want you to breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. Everybody in the room, let's do it together. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Just breathe. Do it again. Don't worry, I'm not going to get the yoga mats out and we're all going to sit here and meditate. That's not what this is about at all. But some of you, you haven't taken a deep breath in so long. You're flying by the seat of your pants. You're just trying to survive life. And God says, stop. Be still and know that I'm God. And so we just stop. We breathe. And it's here that we know that he's God. You see, some of us, we need a spiritual resuscitation. Once again, we need God to give us his breath in our lungs 
How does this happen? It happens in that breath that you just took. Because it's in that breath that you find God. It's in that moment of stillness that you experience God. It happens when we observe Sabbath and we treat it as holy. Mark 2 and 27, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He says, I created Sabbath for you. It's the Lord's day, but God says, I give my day. I give it to you. And this is how you are going to find strength for the journey. I, I, I can hear your mind. But pastor, you don't know how bad it is. You don't know what my life is like. Pastor, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. I, I, that's, that's, I'm just trying to, to make it. Let me ask you, are you having problems breathing spiritually? Mentally, are you having a hard time breathing right now? Because eventually it's going to affect you physically. Are you having a hard time breathing? Are your kids suffocating you? Here, it just got real, didn't it? Are your kids, are your children, are they suffocating you? Is your job suffocating you? Is your marriage suffocating you? How about those bills that are piling up on your desk? Are they strangling you? Are they suffocating you? Is it sucking the life right out of you? Because you might not think that I get it and I understand it. But I know what all of those things feel like. I know what it feels like when the stress of your job has its hands around your neck and it's strangling you out. The stress of kids, the stress of marriage, I know what that's like. Bills. I've been there. And I'm telling you what you need. Whether you know it or not, you just need a breath of fresh air. You need the breath of life once again breathed into your being. If you feel like you're suffocating, you're in the right place today. In Ezekiel 37. A very strange incident takes place. And let me tell you something about Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a strange man. Most prophets were, but, but if there are different levels of, of weirdness when it comes to prophets, Ezekiel was, was top of the chart, man. Strange guy. What most people don't realize about Ezekiel is that he was not prophesying in Israel or in Jerusalem. He was part of that group of young men was taken into exile from their homes, taken into Babylon to be brainwashed, to learn to live like the Babylonians. He was the best of the best out of Jerusalem, and they were taking him there. He, he was part of that group with, uh, that were taken into exile like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. Ezekiel, for 22 years, prophesies God uses him in Babylon. God shows him this weird vision of a valley of dry bones. And when you first read it, man, you're like, what was this guy on? What kind of acid did he have? You know, what? Is this a meth junkie? You know, what? Because it's weird. It's weird. When you just read it for yourself, it's strange. Until you realize you're those dry bones. 
at the moment you realize that you're those dry bones, it's invigorating. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and you will call, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But listen to these words. But there was no breath in them. Stop just for a moment. There was no breath in them. I was reading this, and here's what the Spirit of God told me. You can look like you have it all together, but be completely out of breath. You can look like everything. You can present it to the entire world if you want to, that you got your act together, that your life is perfect. But it's a facade. Because if the, if the breath of life is not flowing through you, you are lifeless. And in this day and age, in this, this culture that we live in right now, it's getting worse and worse because you will go on social media today and you will see somebody and how they present themselves and it looks like their whole world is perfect. Trust me, me, my wife, my daughter, my son, in our home, there are rules about social media. We don't air our dirty laundry out for the world to see. So if you go to my Facebook page, my Twitter account, if you go there, I don't do Instagram, so sorry if you're trying to find me, but I'm not there. But if you look at my social media world, my world looks absolutely perfect because that's what we do, don't we? We present our perfect worlds for everybody to see, and we look at those pictures and we think, man, what's wrong with me because my whole world is falling apart? These bones, they came back together. Ligaments, tendons, muscles, meat. God covered them with skin. But it was a lifeless corpse laying in a valley. And Ezekiel tells us why. Because there was no breath in them. Some of you, you're walking through life right now and there's no breath in you. You are a walking corpse. And there's absolutely no breath in your life. The breath of life left you because you haven't learned how to Shabbat. You haven't learned how to Sabbath because it's in the Sabbath moment where we are renewed, where we are restored. And my heart breaks for you because you can't figure this out. And all along, God's saying, honor me with the Sabbath Remember it, keep it holy, and if you will, I will bless your life and give meaning and purpose to your life. But you can't find that rest. 
You're like a hamster in the wheel. And life never stops for you. And God's asking you, stop, stop. Because in that stillness, you just breathe. And when you breathe, I fill you with the breath of life. But right now, you're just a corpse in a valley. But listen to what Ezekiel says. But there was no breath in them. Verse 9. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. That's the promise that we have is that when we receive the breath of life, when we stop long enough for God to breathe on us, the promise that we have is that we will become an exceedingly great army. How many of you really, really, really wish that your home was an exceedingly great army, that you and your spouse and your kids could rise up and, and defend your home against Satan? Well, that only happens when you have the breath of life breathed into you. That your family of dry bones, exhausted, wore out, weary, the only time that happens is when you learn to observe Sabbath because that's where God wants to bless you. That's where God wants to breathe into your life. Job, man, Job had it rough. One of the hardest books of the Bible to read. Job 32 and 8 says, but it is the spirit of man, the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. Job 33 and 4, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. We need the breath of God to spiritually survive. And if you want to balance life, you must learn to stop and let God fill you with Ruach, his breath, with Numa. Let him fill you with his spirit. In John chapter 20, when Jesus was about to send his disciples out, the Bible says that sitting there in that room, he breathed on them to give them the life that they needed to go out and accomplish what he called them to do. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that, that on the day of Pentecost, there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, pneuma. It was the breath of life. It was God breathing on 120 early believers. And because of that breath, they set the world on fire. You and I are products of their evangelism to this day. It hasn't stopped. We need the breath of life just to survive. And there's too many believers that are walking around defeated because they have not yet figured out how to let God breathe into their lives. And they're just out of breath. And today you may be here and feel like dry bones. You may feel like, like there's no life in you, but God wants to refresh you today. And all that you need is just that moment where God just breathes in you. Do you feel like you need a fire lit under you? You, you need that fire lit under you, you know? I, I think we used to say it. He needs a fire lit under his rear. You do realize that 
fire needs air to survive, right? You can't have a fire without it. You, you can't cover a candle because it will suffocate. You need the breath of life. You need God's breath once again. It's not, it's not a one-time fix. It is an, a constant feeling. And you need Ruach, the breath of God breathing into your life. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary, all who labor and are heavy laden. And he says, I will give you rest. How many of you are heavy laden today? How many of you are, are laboring? Yeah. His promise is, when you come to him, he'll give you rest. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.